none of that escapes any of us. None of us, you know, no, no matter how strong we are as believers or feel that we are where we may be in the faith, we are all as subjected to that um, as anybody. Um, probably even more so because we are believers, because we are Christians. And one of the things, you know, that we're doing today, which we haven't been able to do in quite some time, is we're actually doing what some people call communion or the Lord's Supper. So we're able to participate in the Lord's Supper. And as I was thinking about it and knowing just, you know, the significance of the Lord's Supper and the amount of time it's been since we've been able to participate, you know, it really um, just kind of led me to think about just where we are in the state of the church. And I've talked with uh, many other pastors of large churches, small congregations like ourselves, other church plants like ourselves. And there is this kind of global struggle with a post-pandemic church and the reality of what that looks like. And, you know, one of the things that I just want to stress just as a pastor is that, you know, if we are not participating in gathered worship, we will suffer the effects of it individually and collectively. We will suffer the effects of it. I don't just mean if we participate in church or if you say, oh, yeah, I go to Victory City. But is is the word of God taking hold of our lives? Are we fellowshipping with the word of God? Is the word of God sanctifying us? And, you know, anytime a person may feel like they've drawn away from God, the fact is, is that God doesn't move. OK, God is stationary. We move. And I think one of these things that we have seen in post-pandemic reality is that many of us have moved away from God and sought more comfort. And so I just want to admonish, you know, everyone here, you know, the things that you can do as far as, you know, being here and fellowshipping with the word. That's essential. Things like being a part of a Bible study, even if it's not ours on Mondays, being a part of a Bible study where you are fellowshipping in the word of God where there are other believers who are holding you accountable. That's the purpose of community. And we take the Lord's Supper today. We are not just saying that we fellowship in his suffering. That is one component. But our fellowship in his suffering, the as often as you do this until the Lord comes, that's also meaning that we're fellowshipping with one another, which is a commandment. OK, so I just want to stress, you know, to all of us here, anybody who may be watching online, look, it's comfortable to stay at home. But Christianity is not about being comfortable. It's about being challenged in our faith. And we're going to see that today. I think that's going to be the main thing we see. But I want to challenge each one of us here, you know, the things that we can do. I know we are still in an in-between place, but, you know, there are many churches who would kill to have what we have, have a building, have a service time, have people, have uh, the finances to be able to do it. Um, have the means to be able to do it. So I just would like to encourage everyone, you know, make sure you're fellowshipping here presently and also with the word of God everywhere you can. So um, I get off my soapbox now and we're going to move on to um, the sermon. And we have made it, y'all. Can you believe it? We have made it all the way up to Acts chapter 21. We killing it. We killing it. Anthony, did we go through Acts when I taught you? We went to Matthew Gospels. Yeah, we went through the gospel, so I'm going through Acts with the other seniors now. And it's like, man, we have finally, after a year and a half, we're all up to 21. That means we only have seven more chapters to go. Okay, so that's exciting. Now, we are looking, yeah, amen. So we are looking today at Acts 21, 1 through 15. And as you get there, you know, 
I know some churches may think it is a foreign concept to work through books of the Bible, but it builds your biblical literacy. I'm telling you, you do not realize how much it builds your biblical literacy. But we have watched the whole journey of the New Testament church be established and there are reoccurring things and happening and, and it's in chronological order. and You can follow what's happening. And what we're going to witness today, the event we're going to see today is actually 20 years after Philip, who's going to be mentioned here, was appointed. So we've spanned like decades at this point in this one text and we've done in a year and a half. So credit to you for um, your long suffering. So look with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 21. And we're going to start in verse number one. It says, and when we had um, parted from them. And set sail, we came by a straight course to Kaz, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the, on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they, and they all with wives and children accompanying us until we were outside the city and kneeling down on the beach. We prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived to Ptolemaeus. And we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea. And we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns his belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and we went up to Jerusalem. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the sermon that you have given us today. Go with God. In other words, thy will be done. Lord, each one of us has faced is facing or will face that momentum moment, momentous moment in our lives when we're going to either have to go with what's comfortable, comfortable for us or we're going to go with you. It's that simple. God, let this sermon encourage us that even in the times when we want to choose the easy route, what's most comfortable, let us know that we will always be better for going with God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, it seems that if you look at the life of every great Christian, and I would argue even many of the Bible characters that we've seen all throughout the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament, one of the more common themes that you see is that there seems to be some moment in their lives when they have to decide to either do what's most comfortable for them, where they can either decide to nestle themselves up where they are in life or 
They're going to go with the mission and the challenges and the plans of God. In other words, I think you can see that there's either a place where people either choose comfort or they choose the gospel. They either choose sin or they choose here for themselves sanctification. We either choose happiness or we choose eternal joy. For those who go on in the faith and die having chose God and the gospel over everything else, what they leave is an indelible mark of their faith on everyone that they came across. I mean, we have all encountered those type A kind of people who are driven by their own goals and missions. And those types of people, if you've ever noticed it, there's almost nothing you can do to stop them from pursuing that goal. When they get a goal, they set it and they're determined to not fall short of that goal. And more often than not, those people are pursuing some sort of greatness that will elevate themselves. But I do think that this must be the sort of grit and determination that all Christians must have regarding the faith and the gospel. And we're going to see that that's the same thing that Paul has here in our text today. And there must be nothing that stands in our way in pursuing the truth of who God is. A few weeks ago, I preached a sermon about why we exist and the purposes to which we've been called. And ultimately, what I settled on is that we all have been created to glorify God in the lives that we live. We are created and gifted to glorify God. That may seem a little simplified, but ultimately it is the case for every single one of us. But we also have to acknowledge that there will be times in our lives when we are faced with a moment. And I know we've all been there. We've all probably felt it. And you've probably felt it most when you either have an opportunity to sin or go with God. And we've all been in those moments when we can decipher it's either me and my pleasure or it's God. And I want you to reflect on your life and think over the course of my life, which way have I gone in those decisions? Which way has my life been navigated? Have I chosen my own happiness? Have I chosen my own pleasure? Or have I in those moments, not in my own strength, but in the strength of the Holy Spirit, even when I didn't want to do it, have I gone with God anyway? Let me describe the scene that we have here with Paul. He has been on all of these missionary journeys and he's had these people go with him and they've been there and they followed him. He has other disciples who are with him, apostles who have been made aware of him. And every one of these journeys had some sort of travail and persecution in the life of Paul. Everywhere he he went, he was beaten. He was stoned. He was conspired against. He was threatened. He experienced it all. And here he get he lets the disciples know that he's going to continue his journey on into Jerusalem. And it drives fear into their hearts. Because they knew, Paul, listen, you've escaped death everywhere else that you've gone. And now you want to go back to Jerusalem. And if you do, he knew that he was most certainly likely to die. And they knew that as well. And they knew that because they knew what had been happening with the Jews there and how they had been boiling up against the gospel. So they spend their time with Paul. And this is the last time that many of them are going to see him. And they spend their time with him trying to persuade him not to go. Yet he goes anyway. And that brings us to our first point in the sermon today. 
you have to go with God even when others disagree. You have to go with God even when other people disagree. Listen, it's one of those moments. I think anybody who's going to college or trying to decide about that is always like, you know, your parents have their idea of what they would like you to do. They want you to do something lucrative. They don't want you to get an arts degree. They want you to get a business degree. They want you to specialize in something. But for many of us, if we felt like God has called us to something, that's one of those moments where we have to decide, is it for me or is it, is it for him? And we think about something like this, then I know we typically think about it, you know, it's like, well, the people who typically go against the decisions I want to make, those are always going to be like my enemies. Those are not going to be my friends. And even if my friends disagree, it's, it's a sign that they don't really know God like I know God. But if you look here, that's not the case at all. It's not the case that these were enemies of Paul. It's not the case that these were people who actually didn't have a relationship with God. And if you remember in our Christians in conflict sermon that even God led people can get it wrong. Sometimes we can be caught up in our own desires. And here we have a similar group of well minded believers who are trying to protect Paul from himself. Essentially, they're trying to protect Paul. And they think, Paul, you must not really know how this thing is going to happen. Right. You clearly don't know what's going on. They will kill you. And it says that through what they know and being led by the spirit, they say you must not go down to Jerusalem. You must stay here with us. And as we see, when he gets down to Caesarea, they as well try to urge him to stay after hearing the word of the prophet. There is heavy resistance from those believers, but perhaps even when Agabus comes down and says that if he goes then this is what is going to happen. You're going to be in prison. You're going to be beaten. You're going to be abused. Even then, they restrained him and they said, see, Paul, this is proof. This is proof to you that you shouldn't go. They're going to put you in prison. See how justified we are in our concerns. But for the Christian who is on a mission for God, we do not look just for the end to justify the means. That's what is different about the Christian life. For the world, every decision we make needs to be justified in some sort of way. If I do this, get this degree, will I make a lot of money? If I make this decision, will I find the right spouse? But we are the only group of people in the world that says, no, I'm not actually sowing in this reality. I'm actually sowing my life in the next reality, which is actually reality. So I may be like Paul and make a decision and it may seem to people that, no, that was the wrong decision. Look how he was beaten. Look how he was abused. Look how he was thrown in prison and inevitably he was beheaded. But for Paul, he had already been justified. Because he was now a partaker in the suffering of Jesus Christ as well. So for the Christian, even when others disagree even when it looks like you made the wrong decision to those around you, have my decisions been justified by the fact that I'm in a right relationship with God? Because ultimately, every decision we make as a believer cannot be affirmed or confirmed by any other person outside of the person in the work of Jesus Christ. And that means that in order to know if we're making the right decisions in life, 
You must look to God to be your justifier. You must look to God to be your justifier. It's one of those things, you know, I'm going to be honest, be real candid. When you tell somebody, oh, I'm going to plant a church and then you plant a church. The very next question, most people ask you, how many people you got? Why do they ask that? Because for many people, that is what determines whether or not you have planted a healthy, successful church. It's not that the roof gets blown off. (laughs) It's not that you have to plant during COVID. It's how many people you got. Nobody ever asks. What kind of word are you preaching? Are you preaching a solid word? Are you preaching a convicting word? Nobody ever asks that. So that means if I'm a pastor, I can't look to anybody else outside of God to justify that what I'm doing is right. And if that's the same for me, then guess what? That's the same for every one of you. The decisions you are making in life, you must not look to others and you must not look to yourself. You must only look to God. If God has set something on your mind and on your heart, as long as you know that it is from God, then you must do it. You have to do it. I'm reminded of Moses when he is leading the people of Israel out of captivity to enter the promised land and how they have the Egyptians breathing down their necks and they have the Red Sea in front of them. And the only word that they get from Moses, which is from God, is to go forward. How in the world are we expected to go forward when behind us we have our captors and in front of us we have the Red Sea? Any decision we make would seemingly be death here. What do you mean go forward? We have been wandering around already and now all we have is this. Where are we going? They were going with God. Don't you see what's ahead of us? Yeah, I see what's ahead. God is ahead of us. How do we know? Because he has told us in his word that if we are careful to acknowledge him, just acknowledge him in what we do, he will direct our paths. That's it. It's so simple. Now, I think the reason why we're all on these paths of confusion and crooked roads is because we made so many decisions and we never even acknowledged God in making the decision. So that means if I'm acknowledging God in my life, if I know that he has set this path before me, but what if the path seems questionable? What if the way seems uncertain? And that means this. If I know him, I don't need to know where I'm going. That's what it boils down to. If I know the Lord, he is directing my paths. I don't need him to reveal every step to me. I don't even need to see every step. I just know if I'm on the path of God, every time I make a step, there will be solid footing there. That's all I need to know. What about when Jesus tells the disciples all of the things that he was going to have to suffer on account of us and and our salvation? Do you remember what Peter says to him? Peter rebuts. He says, for sure, you would never have to endure all of this. And what does Jesus then say to him? He says, get behind me, Satan. You get behind me. 
You are not the determination of what is a right path for the son of God to go on. This is the path that is set before me. And if I don't go on this path, you don't have a chance at salvation. Listen, Peter doesn't rebut because he doesn't know God, but it was because he loved Jesus and wanted him to remain with them. But even in that, he was resisting what God was doing. If you have been called here to do something for God, then you have to do that regardless of what people around you will say about what you have to do. That should probably bring the question, well, how do I know if I'm going with God or not? It's a good question. Listen, y'all, I wonder that sometimes myself. How do I know? Well, how did Paul know? says that the prophet comes down here and gives him the word of what will happen. Now, while the office of the prophet has been was replaced by the apostles, there were still holdovers who would come and prophesy. And this represented the word of God. How did Paul know the word of God should always be the ultimate confirmation to believers that they are on the right path? If you're wondering, am I in the right direction? Have you opened the word of God? Have you sought the Lord in scripture? You don't need Brandon to come down from Brookside and tie you up and direct you. You have the full recognized, canonized word of God. All you need to do is open it. Say, but I don't know if my life, which is filled with trouble, I don't know if this is the path that God wants me to be on. Open the word of God. Look at all of the other great men and women and look what they endure for the sake of the gospel and see if you can find yourself and your faithfulness there. So our first point is that we have to go with God even when others disagree. And the second is that we have to go with God even when the future is scary. We have to go with God even when others disagree and we have to go with God even when the future is scary. Listen, if we all knew the result of every decision we made and every encounter and where it would lead us, we would all be hard pressed to do anything that would put us in positions to risk our lives, to risk our happiness, to risk our wholeness, to risk our health. This is one of the reasons that God prevents us from knowing the, our deaths and things like that, because if we knew every decision and, and the weight of every decision, we wouldn't do anything. We would never make a decision. But what about when we do know the result of that decision? What about when we do know that we may have to be separated from those we love in our comforts, in our homes, in our finances? Can we still go with God even when we know what a decision is going to cause us to have to lose? Like Paul here. He was told by the prophet, you are going to be bound and thrown into prison. And what does he do? Does he take his ball and go home? No. He goes on anyway for what awaits him. And I have to be honest, y'all. I don't know if I got it in me. Like, if you tell me right now, if I keep showing up, like, you're going to get bound and thrown in prison and beheaded. That's something to have to recognize. But in some way, the mission that which he was called was so much deeper than any suffering he could go through. 
There was no suffering that could be inflicted on him that could cause him to go any other way but with God. I'm thinking back again about when we planned the church. If you had told me, look, COVID, tornado, I was like, baby, no, that is for somebody else. It can't be for me. Surely not. Would never have made that decision. But then there are these moments, and I do wonder sometimes, but I always go back. But if this is what God has called me to, regardless of what it looks like, I have to go back to the word of God. How do I know this is what God has called me to? Because just like Paul, he says through many afflictions, he's going to enter into the kingdom of God. And I believe that these afflictions, though they are many, they are light. And essentially, they are the stepping stone that are going to propel me into eternity with God. And look, we all know somebody like this. I can tell you, when you know somebody who is so bent on doing the will of God, it can be nerve wracking because you can see in their eyes that they burn and they yearn to fulfill the will of God. Last week, here it is, Kristen. I took Kristen to the movies for her birthday and we saw James Bond. And in that movie, so let me just tell you, if you're planning on seeing it, if you have not seen it, I'm about to give you a spoiler. All right. I'm sorry, Rachel. And it's like the spoiler of all spoilers. So I'm sorry. Like y'all, y'all finna get it. So in the end of the movie, at the end of the movie, he gets hit with like this, this concoction that has the DNA of his lover and his child on him. Right. And it never goes away. And if he touches her or the daughter again, they're going to die immediately. And so he realizes this before his journey is complete, right? And so in order, of course, he's always saving the world. One man, always saving the world. So in order to save the world, after he gets everybody off, everybody's off the island, he has to go in by himself and stop these machines from producing a worldwide like DNA thing so that the whole world won't die. One man's doing all this. And once he got everybody off, everybody runs back. And they're like, James, don't like, don't go. We can figure something out. And he's like, no, I, I have to do it. Like the world depends on me doing this. And he goes in, he goes back into this plant knowing he's probably not going to make it back out. And as he, he finishes the mission, he does what he's supposed to do. He stands right at the edge and he sees the missiles coming to destroy the plant. And he just sits there. Why does he do that? Because he had been charged in his mind with a mission that was greater than himself, that ultimately he was willing to die for, that there was nobody, no matter what they said, they couldn't talk him out of that mission. When Jesus reveals himself to us, I want you to think about it like this. We become enlisted. OK. We become enlisted. We become his agents. We are not just his ambassadors, but we are working agents. We are 007s for the kingdom of God, which means even if the mission calls me to die, I have to be willing to do it because the mission to which he has been called and I have been called is so much greater than the value of my life. Because what was Jesus willing to give up so that I could make this his life? Who am I? Who are we to ever think that we have the right to choose comfort 
over the gospel. And I'm telling you now in the most plain way I can say this, if you choose earthly comfort now, you are choosing eternal discomfort later. Simple as that. So in a real way, even when the future is unclear, when I cannot see the path, when the road is dark, I have to trust that God knows better than I do. Why? Because Jesus knew the way and yet he still went to the cross. If he can do that, knowing the way, then how much more willing should I to do even more? Because Jesus not only knew the way, but Jesus is the way. And then the final reason we go with God is the best reason. You will be satisfied. You will be satisfied. I know this seems like an interesting point after talking about persecution and James Bond being killed and jumping and stuff. I know. But I promise you will be satisfied. If you go with God, you will be satisfied. Notice how Luke concludes our passage here. Once they could not persuade Paul to stay, they stopped and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Just let the will of the Lord be done. What could drive someone to go into certain danger? He knew he was in the will of God. He knew he was in the will of God. That's ultimately where Paul settles. I am in his will. This shows us that there is no amount of success, there is no amount of notoriety, there is no amount of acclaim, there is no amount of money that will ultimately satisfy us. You will only be satisfied if Jesus is your portion. Y'all think I don't know, but I'm telling you, look, I know rich people. I have a friend, Ross Galliano. I'll say his name, it's fine. Ross is a millionaire. Okay, I have ridden in Ross's $350,000 Ferrari that he paid cash money for. Chris, Chris has met Ross, heard him play in the band. Ross has told me on multiple occasions, never married, never had any children, he would trade spots with me if he could. Why is that? Now, in Ross's mind, it's because I have a family and all these things that fulfills me. But what he actually wants to trade spots with is that I have been fulfilled and satisfied with Jesus Christ alone. And there is no amount of money, there is no house, there is no car that has brought him that fulfillment. And as he enters the twilight of his life, he's reflecting just like Solomon did. And he's realizing vanity. That's what it's all meant to him. You will only be satisfied if you are found in the will of God. Many people wander around their whole lives looking for something that will quench their eternal thirst. But unless they drink from the fountain of Jesus, unless they like the woman at the well drinks from the water of Jesus that is everlasting. They will never be satisfied. See, ultimately, we can drink from the cup of everlasting water because Jesus drank from that cup of bitterness that was the wrath of God. 
So as Paul says in Philippians 2.17, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Paul willing to partake in the cup and the suffering of Christ could rejoice. Just as they rejoiced early in Acts because they were counted worthy to suffer for the gospel, so did Paul. That's going to be one of the significant things when we take of the Lord's Supper when I close in just a second is that I'm signifying that I'm willing to drink of the cup that he drank. Do you remember when the disciples come to him and it's like, who's going to be seated? Who's going to be seated next to you? We enter the kingdom. And he asked them, can you drink from the cup? That I'm about to drink. And they said, yes, Lord. Now, in that moment, they didn't know what exactly that cup meant. But eventually they drank from it. They were martyred. They were killed. They lost their comfort and ultimately their lives for the faith. But even still, the reason we take it is because we are rejoicing in his suffering as well. Ultimately, we can rejoice in any state of life that we are in because for us, it is to the glory of God. I will be fulfilled whether I'm in the pit, whether I'm in the prison, whether I'm in the palace. It is to the glory of God. Seek the Lord, trust in him, and you will be satisfied. What does the 23rd Psalm say? He is our shepherd. And we will not lack anything. Now, that doesn't mean that we are provided everything we want, but that everything we want is found in him. Everything I need, everything that makes me me, everything that will satisfy me is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. Go with God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you that you have given us an outline and examples of what we are called to do, God. Inevitably, we are called to pursue you, to chase after you, chase after your righteousness, to surrender our lives to the will of God. And Lord, not knowing whatever step may look like, not knowing what that path may bring and what they may what that may mean to us, God. We ultimately know that if you're ahead of us, if our lives are nestled in the will of God, then we are good. We don't need to know the way in order to follow the way. As long as we know you, we are good. God, help us in those moments that are going to happen every day, every week, every month, every year. We can decide to either go with what makes us comfortable or go with you. That we discern your will and we just go with you. God, help us not choose ourselves every time. Help us choose you. Help us not go with what makes us comfortable. Help us go with you. Help us not pursue our own wills and our own desires. But help us submit and surrender our lives to the will of God. Because ultimately, God, there is nothing that will fulfill us. There is nothing that will satisfy us more then we find ourselves pursuing you, your truth, and your righteousness. And so, Lord, it's our prayer 
that our lives will be surrendered to you. God, if there's anybody who's here watching who does not know you, who feels the pressure of surrendering their lives to everything else, to every agenda, every cause, every this, every that, who's living just according to their own way, God, let this be the day that you show them that they will not find fulfillment, they will not find satisfaction apart from you, no matter how much they pursue it, unless they find their lives in you. We're going to be men most miserable. So, Lord, I just pray that this truth will permeate, it will stick, it will press through our hearts and our minds and our agendas, and that you will help us in every moment go with you It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.